0: Welcome to The Laws of Style, featuring conversations on creativity, fashion, and the law from the leading edge of our economy and culture. Hosted by
1: noted fashion lawyer, Douglas Hand. For this episode, I'm joined by the founder of the menswear brand, Nick Graham, none other than Nick Graham. Walk us through the moment you first knew that you were going to be in the rag trade and you know uh, how you got to where you are now. Well, it started in 1865 through Joe Boxer, you really did have a platform to transform a category.
0: Yeah, no I started Joe Boxer in 1985 and um, well, I got busted by the Secret Service but then yeah. all these radio stations and
1: were calling me in television and I got a lot of press from it and I thought, God, that's fun. I guess that's what they call it, marketing. So from Joe Boxer to Nick Graham, you know, you started with a non-eponymous brand unless, unless right. Joe is your middle name, but I don't no, think it is. Yet. I changed
0: my name. <laughs> after I
1: got out of prison. so kidding. It was a big decision for me, but at the end of the day, it's
0: like, you know, I mean, philosophically, how do you want to live your life? You know, I mean, just like, let yourself go.
1: Hello, and welcome to the podcast, The Laws of Style, downloading to you from the offices of law firm HBA, high above Bryant Park in the fashion district of New York City. I'm your host, Douglas Hand, fashion lawyer, fashion law professor, and self-styled, well-dressed man. For this episode, I'm joined by the founder of the menswear brand, Nick Graham. None other than Nick Graham. Thank you for joining us this morning, Nick.
0: Thanks, Doug. Good to be here. Yeah. And you
1: are a very stylish man, by the way. Well, thank You're you. You're the most stylish lawyer I know. Uh, that's uh, on this block. Yeah, he's on this block. <laughs> um, well, so Nick, we're not only neighbors uh, here on Bryant Park, but um, you know, you and I have discussed uh, your uh, your long standing in the industry, starting um, as one of the the great rags to riches stories. Uh, on the planet started with ties, um, like, uh, like Sir Ralph Lauren. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't
0: change my last name
1: different. That, that's true. Well, we'll get into that. Um, you know, from there, that, that business uh, became Joe Boxer, and um, that was a, an incredibly successful business that you ultimately sold um, to start your own eponymous line uh, of menswear. But, um, you know, that's at a very high level. Just in your own words, walk us through the moment you first knew that you were going to be in the rag trade and, you know, uh, how you got to where you are now with, the Nick Graham brand.
0: Well, It started in 1865. (laughs) Um, you know, uh, uh, how do I, uh, how I actually started to sew, which is kind of the responsibility of all this is I grew up on a farm in Alberta Mm -hmm. in Canada. That's in Canada. That's in Canada for all the people (laughs) who don't look above the line. Uh, and, um, and, and I wanted to, um, um, there was a girl up the road at the other farm, and I, I thought she was
1: really attractive, right? This so is like a Steinbeck novel. It's right? totally.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I thought it would be so cool to actually make her a dress. Like I had no, I mean, this, this woman I, I knew on my farm was a sewer. She sewed, and so I thought, okay, so I'll make this girl a dress. So I went and saw, I bought a sewing machine at a church auction. Okay. And um, taught myself how to sew, and uh, wow, <laughs> and got her the dress.
1: <laughs> what uh, what happened after <laughs> that? That's for did it that's, seal the deal, or that's in the book. Gotcha. Okay, that's in the book. <laughs> anyway, but I, you
0: know, I was always always intrigued by fabrics, and mm-hmm. I don't know why, but um, just you know, style in general. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny because my mother, she used to date Rex Harrison, no oh, Noel Harrison in England. She's from England. Okay. And in their drawer. We share that in common. my My really? mother's English as well. Well... She didn't She didn't date, date Noel Harrison, right? Any of the Harrisons. Anyway, she dated them. him in the 50s, and uh, she, had, she had six of his scarves. For some reason, she kept six of his scarves, and I found them one day, and I thought, these were so cool. So I started wearing scarves, and then style, and then yeah. just kind of evolved
1: into that, but... So you started with neckties. Right. In terms of just in commerce. Yeah. You know? So, um, you know, boy from Alberta... Uh, winds moved up in San New Francisco. York City. We no, went to San Francisco. Yeah, okay. I went to San Francisco in 1980 um, when
0: I was two years old. Okay, and uh, I'm kidding. <laughs> and started a started a network company uh, called Sum, and um, uh, ran that for a couple of years, and then uh, actually we sold them to Macy's, and the and the buyer's assistant was getting married, and she goes, you know, I'd love to get him a really fun uh, wedding gift. So I said, well, I'll make some underwear. So I made some very, very special underwear for him, and she loved them. And also, I needed underwear at the time. So um, that's how Joe Boxer was born.
1: Wow. And then through Joe Boxer, you really did have a platform to not only transform a category, because let's face it, before Joe Boxer, that was a very dull category. Maybe less so for women, but you know, for men, it was just a mindless, thoughtless commodity.
0: Yeah. No, I started Joe Boxer in 1985, and um, at the time, it was super-duper dull. And I went actually to Europe, and there was a couple of you know underwear lines that I liked, I thought, were fun mm-hmm. in terms of their prints and patterns. Um, I actually was thinking about importing them, but then I thought, oh, I might as well just go to the fabric store and do it myself. Mm-hmm. And I did. Um, and we started, you know, starting to print our own patterns and stuff, which is how I got busted by the Secret Service. But that's another point because I was busted for
1: counterfeiting for printing hundred dollars. Right, bills on you didn't underwear. you didn't change it to Monopoly money. You went straight with a K. No, and they
0: came to my loft in San Francisco and literally at <laughs> six thirty in the morning. <laughs> Came in and confiscated my underwear. Wow. And all my printing equipment. Yeah, yeah. It's anyway. too bad that was before social media. Well, actually, what happened is I had a friend at the San Francisco Chronicle. Okay. And I told her about it, and she put it on the front page. Wow. Just a little snippet. Yeah. And it just went national. And yeah. all these radio stations and were calling me on television, and I got a lot of press from it, and I thought, God, that's fun. I guess that's what they call marketing. Right, right. So I guess that's guerrilla Gorilla marketing. Gorilla, yeah. yeah.
1: Well, and you know, that has been, um, that that's been part of, I think the ethos of the Nick Graham brand as well. Right. Maybe right. not gorilla, but, um,
0: chimpanzee, <laughs> <laughs> smaller,
1: you know, thinking outside the box. Right. So, um, you know, I remember the, the men's week, uh, fashion show I went to where you had, uh, you had an astronaut walking yes. down the runway. Uh, you had Buzz Aldrin. Yeah. Um. And uh, my son, who, you know, used to want to be an astronaut, I guess we all did. Did he come to the fun. show? Yeah. He didn't come no. to the show. But uh, I showed him images, and he thought I was right. very cool right? for uh, being able to shake, a you know, a yeah. Buzz Aldrin's hand. Um, how do you think about your shows, um, your press moments? Because they really are special in a right. time where everybody's trying to create special.
0: Well, you know, I, mean, I should look at the stuff we did in the 90s. <clears throat> dating myself again. Um but we, we we were doing social media before there was social media in a sense and I'm not like but I mean, you know, I we did I, I remember doing this event in Times Square with Richard Branson in 1994 where I was dressed in drag and he was dressed in uh, as a as um, Prince Charles and we got we got loaded into the bucket of this crane and uh, arose, you know, we were 200 re- taking 200 feet above Times Square and we were throwing underwear down with bagels attached to them as little um, parachutes and with a full-on uh, bagpipe band and you know and then we married a why couple of times bagpipes, where right? you know I mean <laughs> I put their our, our our URL on our underwear Alaska in 1991. Okay. Um, wow. So um, I I don't know I just kind of make this stuff up. I mean with the Buzz Aldrin for instance I've I've met Buzz years ago and I decided for fall of 17 or 18. What year are we in? I can't remember. (laughs)
1: It's 18. It's almost over.
0: Fall of 17, I decided to do the collection called Life on Mars, Mm -hmm. which is because I'm a a space spaceaholic. Um, And you're a Bowie fan. Big time Bowie fan. And um, so we decided to do Life on Mars. And and it it kind of was this perfect storm of um, I got my friend from the uh, planetarium at the the Rose Planetarium, the Museum of Natural History to come down, and we just had these gigantic projections of, of Mars, and then we had Bill Nye narrate this flight to Mars, so we took, you know, a thousand people in the room and flew them from New York to Mars and landed there, and then we did the show, and then at the end, Buzz Aldrin came out, which, yeah, you know, he's this, never tell this to Buzz, but he was the second man on the moon. So <laughs> but he <when> he <laughs> says he's great. He says, yeah, but I was the first man to pee my pants on the moon.
1: <laughs> That's what
0: he says, I'm serious. <laughs>
1: Well, and it doesn't go down, right? It just sort of floats <laughs> around in the suit, I would imagine.
0: But but that show was—I mean, we got like 1.2 billion impressions on that show. Wow, it was it was remarkable. Um, and we self-produce all this stuff in house. We don't use any agencies there.
1: Well, so w- we're at this this age of the influencer, right, where you have these people who who are objectively famous by virtue of following and, right. and likes. Um, but many would argue they're famous simply for being famous. There's 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 not much substance behind it. That notwithstanding, many brands have latched onto that and appropriated followings from influencers to to pump up their brand or enhance their brand. What do you right. think about that? Is that something? Because obviously Buzz is a known quantity and has been for decades, but I don't think of him as an influencer necessarily. I don't even know if the man has social media accounts. Is 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 the age of the influencer a a short-lived you know just spike in uh you know in in terms of marketing speak or is it here to stay
0: oh i think it's i think it's here to stay and it'll probably just only it'll keep just only growing i mean it's uh i mean think of it the the iphone is only 10 years old actually 11 happy birthday iphone but (laughs) you know which is remarkable in terms of how that should change society and and so i mean this you know this instrument that we hold every day and look at and you know, it's got such power and and the reach it has now in terms of this global, you know, as I say, there's not six degrees of separation, there's eight billion in terms of, you know, the the world is now, you know, at your fingertips, which is before it was just, you know, this is my Rolodex of friends I have, but now it's like people I don't even know
1: (laughs) in Kuala Lumpur are friends of ours. Right, right. Well, there's a great quote that is part of, I I take it, your brand ethos. Um, The brand is the amusement park. The product is the souvenir. Right. Can you unpack that for us?
0: Yeah, I got my bag here somewhere. (laughs) My emotional I'm I'm trying to use my own analogies, (laughs) too.
1: You know, give me a little license here. No,
0: no, it's uh, – I I, I think I blurted that out, like, in the night – I can't remember when (laughs) – 20 years ago okay in terms of a brand's relationship um basically all branding is is creating an emotional relationship with an inanimate inanimate object right Mm -hmm. so how does this coffee how do you make this coffee bigger than a cup of coffee how do you give it a sense of place in your soul in your heart you know like i need to have that Mm -hmm. you know
1: and and, in fashions you know and and to make
0: people pay more for, for it. it. I mean, look at my underwear costs about the same as what Gucci costs in terms of production. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but what they have is what I call emotional gross margin, right? Which they have like about $100 more per pair than I do, right? Yeah. <laughs> I sell my underwear for $15, they sell for 115. Right. But but they, you know, reinforce it with creating this environment of 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 you know, through imagery and through you know, video and Social media. They've got a great amusement park. They have a great amusement park, and um, and the underwear or their underwear or their dresses is just a souvenir of that that emotion that they. You know, it's like
1: Ralph is genius at that too, and anyone who's good at what who's they done do. it well and and, and right. has it lasting. You know, that's that's one of the risks in the industry is that so much of the value is predicated on something so ephemeral. Right, and you know, in the market for M and A, you know, you like to you like to write checks to invest in things that are pretty solid. Right. Um, have you so you sold Joe Boxer? Yeah. Uh, Nick Graham, your current brand. You know, you, you've got other folks on the cap table. You've taken an investment. Yeah. Um, do you find that's present in conversations about financing that there is a a reticence, a reluctance among the investment community, because they don't understand fashion, they don't understand the, uh, the amusement park? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's not like, a,
0: you know, I'm going um, to in, invest in this stock, because I know I can probably get this, you know, certain return on it based on what it's, you know, on its performance. I mean, fashion's a trickier trickier subject, you know, yeah. I mean, it's, I, I like I just love what Gucci's done in the last three years. Yeah. I mean, you know, fifty percent year-on-year comps, yeah. which is insane for a company of that size. Well, and, and uh, it's driven by product. It's nothing to do with how many ads they ran. It's just the product is genius, and he's a genius, and he's just upended the whole f- system. I mean, yeah. it makes Prada look like you know, J. Crew. J. Crew. Oops. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> um, or or, or how <laughs> does it would.
1: Yeah, maybe, you know, it does. Well, and, and, you know, you look at the legacy of Gucci, right? You know, I often talk about this uh, in my fashion law class uh, at NYU and Cardoza. You know, a lot of these European houses have over a century to look back on. And Gucci's been up and down. You know, you you look at, there's that great book, The House of Gucci, which describes not only some of the family infighting, but also the regeneration that had to occur Right. You know, under Domenico and Tom Ford, but even, you know, before that where they were licensing, you know, you could find Gucci lighters. Right.
0: <laughs> Gucci vodka.
1: Yeah, you could find Gucci at the under a dollar store. Yeah. Um, you know, and and yet they they dusted it off and, and, and kept you know that, so that's 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 an interesting story. Your brand as an opponent. But, but on that point, you know, I, I don't think the the
0: millennials what are perennial millennials they call it. Really care about the legacy of Gucci when they walk in the store these days. They might not even know it's a hundred years old. They probably don't even care if it's a hundred years old. They mm-hmm. like it right now, yeah. And that's all they care about. I mean, the legacy, shmegasi. I hate to say it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and schmegacy—that's a Jewish term, right? Right. Schmegacy. <laughs> <laughs> How, um, you know, it's right next to schmuck.
1: On right. The alphabet. <laughs> right. But the millennial customer—I mean, um, they may be buying. Gucci belts, right? Yeah, or a yeah. Gucci I scarf. Mean, you know, doesn't Gucci still run on that, that yeah. grand dam who can afford the, you know, the the multiple thousand dollar outerwear piece that Gucci sells?
0: For sure. But I mean, I'll dial that comment back a bit. <laughs> Legacy <laughs> is important,
1: right? And but, like, but
0: this, but the way, you know, the dynamics of especially Gucci right now are such that it doesn't, yes, it has a le- history, but it's immediate which mm-hmm. is, you know, every brand has to become, you know, that's the, the trick of the trade in fashion. You've got to be immediate. You have to be um, not too far ahead, not too yeah. far behind. You know. Well,
1: and Gucci, I think, has really properly towed the line between appropriating too much from other sources. Right, right. Um, and kind of looking like they're chasing shiny objects as opposed <laughs> to leading, yeah. right? Doing things that seem a little... Unhinged right. until they are very successful, and then you go, "Aha! Yeah. Another brilliant move." No, no, I mean I, it's a, it's like a
0: mad flea market when you walk in the store. It's like some you know eccentric, yeah. extremely eccentric you know yeah. woman has died and she's left all this <laughs> mad stuff. But you know, this weekend I was at Fred Siegel in L.A. and Libertine, mm-hmm. the great Libertine store there, yeah. and and it's like if you were drunk and squinted, it looks like Gucci. So and Libertine's been doing that for, yeah, twenty years, and I love Libertine. The same same kind of sensibility. Likewise, just, and Fred Siegel, yeah, you know,
1: another. Uh, w- was it the Sunset Store? The yeah, 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 yeah. With John uh, Frierson,
0: okay, who's done an amazing job with that yeah. store. You yeah, know, it's like, it's got dynamics and energy, and you know, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, and John is great. He's a, he's a perfect yeah. set there.
1: Um, so
0: I don't know where I, but I just thought it was important to bring up Libertine. Yeah. It's an American brand who I think has got as much energy and, and vitality as Gucci does in terms of its eccentricity. Yeah. It just doesn't have the platform.
1: In, in menswear specifically, what are some of the brands that you like or look to either from a product standpoint or a customer engagement standpoint?
0: Uh, I think number one is um, Tom Brown. Mm-hmm. Number two is uh, Tom Brown. Uh, <laughs> number three is Thomas Brown. <laughs> or Xenia, now that Xenia owns well, Tom Brown. I mean, <laughs> I mean I'm a shiny object kind of guy, right? Right. And I I think, I think Well how a, do you how
1: do you think he did it?
0: I you know, it's brilliant. I mean, especially just since he got a half a billion dollar market cap on that right. company, which is I just am so uh admire Tom's you know, sticking to sticking right. to sticking to his knitting and uh mm-hmm. Because that
1: product is undoubtedly
0: very well-made. It's it's very well-made. It's very expensive. But, um, again, you know, brand is the amusement park product, the souvenir. No one does a show, an American designer, no one touches what Don Brown does in a show. Mm-hmm. You know, just the way he looks and the way he thinks. And, you know, it's it's incredible, right? But, yeah. you know, people aren't buying those, those, those things right. that make you look like some you know animated Japanese doll. They're yeah. buying the suit. Right. Right? So. Right. You know that's the again that's the souvenir of that
1: large Japanese doll so. well, so back to eponymous brand right um which you're at the helm of one, Tom just sold one um and and back to the m M&A and a yeah. market and risk analysis so you know putting aside just the ephemeral nature of of goodwill when you have this other component which is the individual founder designer um and you have the risk factor inherent in that person just being an individual out in the world. And let's face it, if they're a designer, maybe an individual who, you know, likes to do somewhat crazy things. I think of, you know, Galeano and, you know, his particular rant in Paris, years ago, right? Excuse me. <laughs> um, I, I think even of uh, more recently Donna Karen, who has long since sold her brand it's right. been sold from LVMH to G3 um, but when she made comments in support of Harvey Weinstein right. in uh, the the sort of apex of of, 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 of that drama being part of right. the press and, and part of the discussion um, yeah. I believe several major retailers dropped the line and Donna herself is not even on the cap table anymore yeah, yeah. You know, it was G3 no. who absorbed right. that pain right. but this founder who is still associated with the brand could have an impact on the brand.
0: No, look, at it. I think that, you know, that's, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, that is what it is. It's like, you know, you get you get a, a golf star to promote your you know, right. accounting firm. Right. You know yeah. what I mean? And, no, fair enough. And, and things go sideways. I mean, it can, it can happen, yeah. you know, but, but I mean, uh, I don't know.
1: So from Joe Boxer to Nick Graham, you know, you started with a non-eponymous brand, unless, unless right. Joe is your middle name, and I don't no, think it is. I, yeah. I changed my name
0: <laughs> just after I got out of prison. Sorry, I'm kidding.
1: I'm kidding. But um, do you feel that, that your rounds of investment, and as you contemplate the future for Nick Graham and a potential liquidity event or right, further right. financing, is fraught with more difficulty for you putting your investor now to the side just for you as the individual, because it is your name and no, no, there's certain, there's, there
0: you know, I mean, I, I was a conscious and, you know, it was a big decision for me to say, I'm going to call this my name, right. You know, um, but you know, it, it it's, you know, it actually just, is it's actually, it's a, it's a responsibility, you know, I, I take it very seriously and, um, but it's I, I could look at Calvin or Tommy, right? In terms of you know Calvin's out of the business. You say Don is out of the business. Tommy's out of the business. I mean you know however however long we live, if we have a eponymous, eponymous, eponymous. That sounds like some fruit from like Southeast Asia.
1: Oh my God! I got this beautiful eponymous today. I like eponymous with my yogurt. Exactly. I, so. I like my yogurt in eponymous. You know, in a bowl of eponymous. Right. Tommy's not out of the business. I mean, Tom no, no, <laughs> no. I mean, but you know, in terms of.
0: <laughs> in, in terms of, he's built the amusement park, right? And right. You know, there's the souvenir, and he's, you know, but it's, it's, it. I don't know. It's just, it, it is what it is. I mean, but, um, I, I don't know what to say about it.
1: You know? Yeah. Well, that's that's fine. That's he, a, just, it's, uh it's a it's a reality that you you deal with and um, you know if you if you sell the business and your name goes with it that's something yeah yeah you know, it's just part of the consideration and um, you know I, I I don't um no I mean I, I love look at at the bottom I
0: love what I do I love getting up every morning and mm-hmm. thinking up some new stuff to make create lining of a blazer yeah. um. You know, whatever it is, it's just that's that's what I got to stick at and, and and continue to do.
1: And well, and you you put yourself together very well. Well, as well, um, and and you know, in in my book, the loss of style, I um, I talk about how I believe professional gentlemen, you know, right. lawyers and and other professionals, other service professionals, um, should best present themselves. And as a lawyer, I feel like a suit is the appropriate vehicle for that. That's often yeah. what. A client or potential client wants to see their lawyer in um, as as a founder as a creator um, as a man about town, how do you look to present yourself and and does your line reflect that, or is your line very much outside of how you put yourself together?
0: No, basically, I make clothes because I'm too cheap to buy them right, <laughs> so I really wanted a blazer with a crest on it, right, so I made one. I just happened to have my name nice right so um <laughs> No, no. I mean, it, it's you know, you got to make appearances. I mean, it's my name on the door. <laughs> right. And I love, I, I, have, I, you know, I happen to love what I make, so yeah. it makes it easier. But you know, it's it's also when you go back to in terms of how people expect a lawyer, an attorney, to what, to wear. Um, the, the, the interesting part right now is the suit business is actually very good, in mm-hmm. in 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 many ways, especially as we bring color and other brands bring color and pattern into it and. You know, um, at a, at a very affordable price, um, but but there's this huge transformation in the workplace going on. Right. You know, I mean, um, I think, pff, you know, ninety ninety nine percent of the companies in this country are fifty people or less, right? As a pers- as just in numbers, and so and I think eighty percent of the new jobs created in the last ten years are through individuals, mm. and this whole gig economy and the whole right right you know. Um, and then, the, you know, development and the growth of WeWork, you know, right. so people are, I call them crawling out of their kitchens as entrepreneurs, right? And they're kind of going into a more social environment. So, so what are they wearing? Right. Just start With, wear.
1: Without the dress code, without, without the employee handbook, yeah, which no, has a look policy. Right. And yet, J.P. Morgan. Exactly. Is business casual all yeah. week. Um, no, I mean a, you know, among many, many other banks and, and law casual firms. Casual Friday is long dead. Right. I mean,
0: it really is. So it's like, so the decisions now for what men, how do they dress, many, many of them have never worked in a corporate environment. So there isn't that kind of IBM kind of cookie cutter approach, and I know I'm going to wear my blue suit right. Monday, my Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Right. But well, so how
1: do you account for the, the tailored clothing business still doing well? Because I still think there's, you know, I
0: mean, someone, it's like you, you know, you want to present yourself well to clients, you know, whether you're a graphic designer or an architect or, um,
1: and the the suit still does
0: that. The suit still does that. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I spent a lot of time in San Francisco and that's you know, you can wear a hoodie and pair of jeans and take over the world.
1: Um, (laughs) <laughs> or not. <laughs> well, but there's still, you know, I mean, obviously in, in a profession where you are beholden to a client. Right. I think there is a sense of obligation. Um, in a way, there there's, you know, there, there, there's a common misconception that a suit's an uncomfortable thing to wear. Right. Maybe, it's, maybe it's, you know, the necktie is an uncomfortable thing to wear, that these things right. are not comfortable. And they can be if they don't fit you properly. Um, but we know they can be very comfortable as well. But I think there's something to, to dressing up for your client and looking, you know, if not uncomfortable. It shows, it shows respect. It shows respect. It right. shows respect for the work. It shows right. an attention to detail as right.
0: well. Um, and you respect yourself and you respect them because they're giving you an opportunity to, to work with them. Yeah. It's, yeah. You know.
1: But it is much, much easier to put a suit on and, and really only be faced with choice of tie Right. And whether right. or not you're going to wear a pocket square. Right. Than it is to put a professional looking casual ensemble together. Right. Um and I think that's why we are at a moment where people appear to be dressed worse than ever because it's hard. They don't know it's, what to wear. Yeah. And right. and there isn't a lot of guidance other than the laws of style. <laughs> um but no, we we had um we had uh Eric Jennings, who yeah. used to be at Saks Fifth Avenue, and uh, while he was there, he, he was head of menswear at Saks right. Fifth Avenue, um, they put out sort of a quarterly guidebook on, on business casual. Um, and you don't yet you don't see a lot of that. Um, is that sort of a missed opportunity, or is that one of the things that's just continuing to fuel the suiting business because when a guy wants to look professional, he still goes to the suit because he figures, I'm going to cock up. Business casual, and I'm gonna look. Yeah, shopping. no, I.
0: Th- <clears throat> I think that's part of it. I, you know, it's also the de-evolution of the necktie right now because the neckwear business is very soft. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, especially we sell a lot of floral shirts in the dress in the dress shirt department. Mm-hmm. So you don't really need a a tie on top of a floral yeah, yeah. shirt. That's right? a high yeah. level of difficulty. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> wrong, wrong. <laughs> um, but but still, a floral shirt looks great with a suit jacket, right? So I mean, it's this. You know, it's, it's people are trying to find, especially men are t- definitely trying to find their way into, you know, h- how, what to wear and, you know, how to look. And there is no, you know, roadmap right now. I mean, GQ does an amazing job. Mm-hmm. There's tons of Instagram sites. I mean, Instagram, Instagrammers the yeah. um, uh, the out there who really do present that way of dressing, you yeah. know, it's this updated modern. So there's like all these influences coming from men mm-hmm. from all different sides now. So. Yeah
1: well so on to our four w questions Uh-oh. um yeah starting with with simply what you know for those that aren't watching on youtube what are you wearing today nick
0: i'm wearing a uh, bill blast kidding <laughs> because they're gonna go what i can't see that <laughs> hot <laughs> hot sequin it's black sequin no um, i'm wearing actually a blazer this is a uh, blazer i made for i think this was spring i can't remember <laughs> i think it was this spring this year okay i did a show called atlantis which is all based on uh, donovan's song i kinda, i remember that show the, yeah, future it was gorgeous. Of the, the future of the planet yeah. kind of thing so this was kind of i did this kind of whole nautical
1: part you nautical. didn't go with water world no, I didn't go with the <laughs> <Was it? laughs> <Right? laughs> We'll all be underwater soon. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but okay, yeah, so you've got the royal blue blazer with a Nick Graham patch, pirate I, I, patch. Right. And it says
0: Atlantis um, found. Okay. Because my theory is basically, you know, we've been looking for Atlantis for centuries, millennia, mm-hmm. but actually we are in Atlantis.
1: Mm-hmm. So it's very conceptual. Yep. Tie, vest, and blue jeans? Blue jeans, but they're not mine. Okay, so. and uh, looks like... But there
0: are seven. I think there's seven from Mankind, and they're stretch and they're amazing. Okay, as well as wingtips. Uh, Paul Smith, wingtips, and Paul white socks. And white and white socks? I only wear white socks. You only wear white socks? I mean, socks? we make socks. We make really cool socks.
1: But are they only white?
0: No, exactly. <laughs> we got the best line of white socks in the world. See,
1: I only wear white socks in the gym. Do you? Yeah, but... That's yeah, you're me. a formal kind of guy. Yeah. You can't wear Argyle, but you are... You're wearing Argyle. Argyle I, I am wearing Argyle, yeah. Um, well, so you answered some of the, the you know, who as well. Um, I, I assume the blazer is you, the The vest is you. Is the tie you? The tie and the shirt, yeah. Okay. Um, how about the um, when in terms of seasonality? Can you articulate or, you know, do you even recall any of the seasonality of these garments?
0: Yeah, no, as I said, this was from Atlantis from the spring. Right, right. So, um and it hasn't aged much since then.
1: No, no, it looks great. And 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 then why, why did you pick this particular one? Because
0: I was coming on your podcast. And <laughs> that seems to be the answer. Uh, no, absolutely. no, actually, this is kind of. I dress like this kind of every day.
1: Yeah, I see you. I bump into you right, sometimes right. At, in Brian Park because we're we're neighbors, and you always look natty. You know, yeah. you got to look natty, man. Because yeah. I mean, you, never, Cause you know. never know who you might bump into. I mean, I even,
0: you know, when I sleep, <laughs> I wear an ascot. Just, you never know who might show up. <laughs> Paparazzi.
1: In your bed. Right. Yeah. Um, what, what is one style rule that you never break? Oh, geez. Oh, geez. Good question. Um,
0: you know, I'm, I have a hard time mixing colors okay
1: (laughs) well yeah you i mean this is uh, not monochromatic but really i mean it's it's blue it's it's blue and white like and and remember you know navy and white always right
0: right right no (laughs) it's true blue is you know yeah you you can't go wrong yeah i mean
1: so other than i don't know yeah just just keep it keep it simple stupid Keep keep it simple stupid no that's that's good advice well so we've talked about your shows um what about collaborations? You know, we're at this time where there seem to be... Collaborama? Yeah. Collaborama. Five collaborama. new collaborations every week. No, I know. It's, what What uh, do you... How do you look at collaborations? Um, you know?
0: You know, I was... I mean, I to date myself, but I mean, I've been doing collaborations for about 700 years. I mean, I did one... I mean, it was the first one we did was in... Um, I think it was... I think it was Virgin. Uh... In 94, where we, if you bought five pairs of Joe Box, you got a free companion ticket on Virgin to the UK, wow. or anywhere Virgin flies, which was England. Yeah. So <laughs> then I did a General Motors uh, collaboration. Um, around then, uh, we built, a, I built a New York, I built a taxi, New York taxi. They had one in San Francisco, one in New York, and they were totally tricked out. These things were amazing. Um, <laughs> They, you know, it's, it. <laughs> it even had a scratch and sniff map of New York. So when you drove oh, by wow. the port authority, but all the fares went to breast cancer. Okay. Um, and that allowed me to actually stand in the wind tunnel at the general motors testing facility in Detroit. I mean, it's insane. So they chained me. Is that why your hair always, always. seems to go back? It yeah. just, yeah. Got... Oh, we got it up to about 130 miles an hour and literally Jesus. my cheeks were like, Ooh, it was, uh, <laughs> it was so much fun. Um, general mills. We had the world's largest breakfast, um, well, yeah, so so you're you know,
1: dealing with Fortune 100 companies in your collabs, which, you know, collabs for a lot of brands seem to be so micro in nature.
0: Yeah. No, I mean we just I, I, I we just did one at, at the last men's fashion week with Cadillac, um, which which was wonderful because um, you know, Cadillac is Cadillac House, which is amazing, and mm-hmm. so they they called and offered you know. Do your show with us here and. So I went down and I was doing, I mean, the theme for spring next year is 1969, which is basically the year of the Apollo 11 and, and Woodstock. And I mean, it was, as I say, it was when, it was when America, <laughs> America's right brain and left brain were working overtime. Right. Because there was Woodstock on right, right. and Apollo 11. And it was this powerful, powerful year. So I went down anyway. So I went down and looked at Cadillac House and I loved the space. And, you know, and they had a car in the lobby. And I said, do you have anything a little more modern? Looking, of course, is their XT5 or something? Right, like, right. Just, just shut up. They're giving you
1: So you responsible for getting that super cool so, silver? Yes. Oh, wow. So, so I Dude, said, do you have anything
0: like, uh, like really cool and futuristic looking? And one of the people from General Motors was there, and they said, well, we have a car. It's called the Cyclone. We have no idea, idea where it is. So she Googled it on her phone, and it's the most beautiful car. from 1959, yeah. and it's totally Jetsons. I mean, this car exactly. is gorgeous right yeah. and so i said if you can get me the car i'll do the show so <laughs> what a princess right <laughs> so so they found the car it's in, they have the archive in uh, in detroit um and uh you know the insurance on this car is 15 million dollars i mean it's 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 priceless really yeah and they brought it to to new york and we parked it on the runway for the show um yeah. And that was just, you know, I mean, that's what I love about working with Fortune 100 companies, you know. You can say, I really want that car, and it comes. And shit gets done. <laughs>
1: yeah. Shit gets done. And
0: that's I'm true. doing a lot of the stuff with NASA right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm doing a lot of stuff for Apollo 11 next year in terms of the celebration. It's also the 60th anniversary of NASA this year, the 50th anniversary of Apollo next year. Mm-hmm. So doing a lot of stuff with NASA. Um, in fact, we're hosting the, uh, the gala at Kennedy Space Center next July, July 16th. Oh, wow. That'll be something. Dressing all the astronauts. And so, I mean, I just love hanging out with... I mean, I kind of perceive these things just because I like them. I mean, I don't really know if NASA is a marketing strategy, but, you know, I just kind of follow my heart, you know?
1: I mean, it's, it's a wonderful thing to yeah. have created a life and a career for yourself where right. passions in your life can be things you fold into them. I mean, I look at my life and my career, and right. to be a lawyer focused on the fashion industry is not intuitive. But it's something I'm you passionate about, out of it. And, and you get great clothes <laughs> out of it. Um, no, no.
0: I mean, I'm actually working on a book right now called um, "If You Don't Ask, the answers, No," and it's kind of taking my experiences over the over the you know the last many years and mm-hmm. kind of you know and a, a sorting them out in terms of what they did and how they happened and why they happened because they wouldn't have happened if I didn't ask. Yeah. If you don't don't ask, ask, don't get. Don't get. Yeah. And um, you know, I just it's, it's really fascinating. But it's also it's a much more it's a kind of a I like, call, oh, you know, this is a pitch session. It's like Richard Branson meets Tony Robbins, right? It's a it's a really funny book with all these amazing, crazy a lot of anecdotes from your life. Anecdotes. Yeah. But at the end of the day it's like, you know, I mean philosophically, how do you want to live your life? And, you mm-hmm. know, I mean just like let yourself go and kind of you know, if you're hesitant about something, just maybe just ask, right? Yeah. Don't, oh, they'll never call back. Or, oh, you know, they are I'm crazy, you know, but, yeah. but maybe you are crazy, so what? Right. Know.
1: What's your writing process? When do you write? Do you take big blocks of time off, or is there a set time each day where you say, I'm going to get 200 words out? Yeah, I, no, I write in the morning early, like five.
0: Okay. <clears throat> Actually, I don't, the way I do it is I dictate to Siri. Okay. And I start with Siri and then uh, I dictate it into an email.
1: But <laughs> <laughs> you can get chapters done in like an hour. Yeah, that's nice. And plus, then I, plus, I mean, just in terms of, of the flow of words, that's, yeah, that's an interesting a, way to yeah. it, it
0: creates a different kind of cadence yeah. as it would rather than text and then I go back and edit it. Mm-hmm. Um but it's really fun, you know. It's
1: so um Another random question. Um but but it's something that's been interesting to me in the industry, back to the industry of of fashion and apparel. I'm seeing more and more unisex brands out there. Yeah. And you know, traditionally there's been a very clear bifurcation between menswear and women's wear. What do you what do you think of unisex? Is it here to stay? Is it just a marketing ploy?
0: Um I can't I, I can't quite figure out what it is, but but then again, it's so like <laughs> There's some things that I wear that I can't find. Like, I got this great black and white polka dot sweater from, I think, uh, from um, Century 21 or something. In the women's. In the women's area because I liked it, right? I mean, I don't know.
1: (laughs) No, I picked up a pair of sort of crazy, almost harem pants, you would say. But they're... Uh, like cargo pants right they're, they're military green they got a lot of zippers on it from Philip Lim and it yeah. was it was in the women's section
0: no no I think that there's you know there's a business there I'm
1: not sure you know the, the, well I mean look it, it, it certainly aligns with some social issues that, that Yeah, yeah. I to think it's, I think it's Riddle. very cool very exciting awesome Nick that's a wrap <laughs> Thanks for coming in. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, appreciate sharing with our listeners. We really appreciate it. For your troubles, you'll get a copy of The Laws of Style. Whoa. Yeah, exactly. A signed one. And uh, listeners, don't forget to follow on Hand of the Law, both Instagram and Twitter. And Nick, any social media um, shout outs? Instagram
0: is it's Nick Graham.
1: Okay, very good. And this will be, I think, the last podcast I'll be featuring a mustache for Movember. but uh, I If you do, kind of grow one. Is that right? (laughs) It's too much on the top of your head. It's too much. We've got got enough going on already. But uh, you can still give outside of the month of November to uh, Team Mo Justice. Thanks, everybody.
0: You've been listening to The Laws of Style with Douglas Hand. For more information, go to our website at www.hballp.com. And you can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at, at hand of the law. Thank you for tuning in
1: and stay stylish.